It's lovely to see everybody. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here at Viva. And, you know, what's been happening in our church community lately is really quite amazing. I've been in church a long time and I, I don't think I can remember a time actually where I've seen God so actively at work in so many people's lives in really powerful ways. We had our story Sunday a few weeks back where a number of people um, got up and shared stories of how God had set them free from things that have been tormenting them for decades even. Uh, how God has set them free literally from, from demons uh, for some people. For other people, how God has healed some really deep, deep pain in their lives. And, you know, as we're seeing God doing this work of setting people free and of restoring and healing emotional wounds, we're also starting to see a few people getting healed of physical things. Um, you know, Claire shared last week about how, or maybe it was the week before, anyway, recently, about how she's, um, you know, been healed of a whole bunch of dietary intolerances and how amazing that is. And, um, you know, Elisa was telling me that a, a little while back, Alison prayed for her and where she'd had all this numbness in her, her pelvis and her leg, that numbness has gone and she can now walk so much further than she was able to before. Dave has a story which hopefully he'll tell in, in a few weeks' time. And there's so much happening that hopefully we're going to have to have another story Sunday soon, um, which is really exciting. Like I said, I've never been in a church, I haven't been in a church for a long time where the Holy Spirit has been so actively at work. And so today I just wanted to talk a little bit about physical healing because I think we're probably going to see more of it. I think we're going to continue to see deliverance and emotional healing, but I think we're also going to see miraculous physical healing happening. Now, I'm aware that as I talk about this, we're probably all in quite different places. For some people, this might be brand new for you that, that God actually does miraculous physical healing today. So it might be quite new or you might be uh, you know, just starting to experience that for the first time. For others of us, um, it can actually be quite painful. You know, we may have had quite disappointing experiences with prayer for healing in the past. And I'm, I'm really aware of that as I talk. Um, you know, for others of us, we might have become a little bit hard or, or cynical to it or a bit sceptical about it. I just remember as I was preparing this, I was remembering a time last year where I was having coffee with a friend of mine who's a Buddhist and we'd been talking a lot about spiritual things and, um, and I was just like, oh, if, if only she could see that Jesus was really real and, and she had a frozen shoulder. So I, I prayed for her in the cafe for her shoulder, um, but nothing happened. And I remember coming away from that feeling a bit disappointed and a bit embarrassed um, and with just a lot of questions about why. So I'm really aware that we all have some kind of experience, positive or negative, or a mixture with physical healing. Um, but I guess I, I just want to encourage us to, to come and hear what God and his word has to say about those things. You know, that last song we were singing, it was talking about, um, you know, I, I used to think I could box you in. And God doesn't like to stay in our boxes. He likes to, he likes to demolish boxes, actually. So I'm just going to pray for us. And I do just really want to encourage you to, um, to just come and bring whatever your, your experience is, is with healing and, and to really put it in God's hands and to sort of open yourself up to what he might want to say today. So 
Mighty God, we, we come and we're getting together today because we know that you are real and that you are here. You're not far off in a distant heaven somewhere, but you are right here among us. You are living in us and you, you are at work and you have so much love to pour out, so much wisdom to give us, so much to teach us. And Father, I just want to ask for each one of us today that we would be able to come as a learner, that we'd be able to come admitting how much we don't know, how much we don't understand about this topic. But I ask that you would help us to trust you and to listen to you and to listen to your word. So just soften our hearts, Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read um, a, a story that I really felt God put on my heart from, from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Two Kings. Now, Two Kings is a time when um, there were lots of different kings of, of Israel and of Judah, and a few of them were good, but most of them were bad. They didn't really worship God. They led the whole nation into all sorts of idolatry. And so into that context, God sent prophets. And these prophets would bring his message. And they also really moved in his power. So we're going to read um, from 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had, Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents, that's 340 kilos of silver, 6,000 shekels, 69 kilos of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, in this story, all the conflict comes because the different characters have different beliefs about healing. So first of all, there's this slave girl. She's been captured as a young child and taken as a slave to a foreign country. But she has real faith. She's heard of this prophet in her home country and she has real faith that, that this man could heal, this, could heal Naaman of his leprosy. And I mean, leprosy was a real death sentence in that time. There was no cure. There was no, no other option. It was just a long, slow, painful death. But she also has, as well as having incredible faith, she has incredible love. 
I mean, these are people who've taken her slave, taken her as a slave. They've separated her from her family, from her country. You know, she, did, she could have just sat there and gone, well, I know how you could get healed, but I'm not saying anything. But she actually loves enough. She loves enough to say, oh, I wish, I actually wish my master would go and see the prophet and get healed. And it's this real, um, I actually think she took a huge risk in doing that. Because what if it had failed? You know, what would have happened to her? She's very vulnerable, completely defenseless if he'd gone to get healed and he hadn't gotten healed. There could have been serious, like serious repercussions for her. She was powerless. But she, has, she embodies this really selfless love. Then we have Naaman. Now, Naaman is uh, a guy who's used to being respected. He's, in a, he's the, the head of the army in a powerful, powerful country. And he's used to being able to organize things, make things go his way. But he couldn't fix his leprosy. He couldn't fix his sickness. And I think he was actually probably quite desperate. And, and to his credit, he has, he has faith. It's like he catches the faith from this slave girl to the extent that he's willing to get all this wealth together and to go off to another country to seek healing. But as, as will come out a bit later in the story, he, he seems to think that healing is a transaction and that's part of why he takes all the cash with him. He seems to think it's something that he can control and he has very clear ideas about how it should happen, as we will see. Now, the king of Aram, that's the king of Naaman's country, uh, I think he's a cynic. He hears uh, that his army commander wants to go and get healed of his leprosy uh, and he says, by all means, go and I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel, which is really a veiled threat. Um, I think the king of Israel was right in his interpretation of that, saying, here you go, here's my army commander, heal him. You know, do it, show me that your God can do this. It's a bit of a, it's a, it's a challenge to the, to the power of God and a challenge to, to Israel. So he's a cynic, he's hard-hearted, he doesn't think healing can work, but he's willing to sort of profit off this whole process anyway. And then we have the king of Israel, and the king of Israel gets this letter where he's asked to heal this guy of leprosy and he's, te he's terrified. You know, he tears his robes. It's a sign of, of, real, of grief um, and of anguish because he knew that this, you know, this could go really badly for him and for all of Israel. It could end in, end in war. It could end in this other country coming to invade them um, if they failed. And so he calculates the consequences of what's going to happen if Naaman doesn't get healed and he's absolutely terrified. And then we see Elisha, the man of God. And I'll talk a bit more about him later. But Elisha is completely confident in God. He says, send him to me. I will heal him. Or he will see what God's going to do. Now, I think these characters, they represent these, these different perspectives on healing, these different beliefs about healing. And that's what, that's what you know, causes all the drama in this story, all the conflict, all the tension comes from these different beliefs. And, you know, we see that in this story, but we also see that in the life of Jesus. You know, people responded really differently to Jesus' miracles. Some people responded with real joy and faith and um, praise to God. Other people were really skeptical. They thought he was a con man. And then other people even hated the miracles of Jesus so much. There's a number of times where Jesus does a healing miracle and then the next, the next thing that happens is people are plotting about how to kill him. So 
so healing caused conflict back then and, and it causes conflict now too. Um, you know, both within the church but also within the world, there are sort of real different camps that people have. You've got people who are really cynical, sceptical, um, both in the world and, and also in the church. People who, you know, people saying, well, actually, healing doesn't really happen today. Miraculous healing like that, it just doesn't happen. Uh, you've also got, got people who are, um, you know, sort of name it and claim it faith healers, whether that's in the worldly sort of positive thinking, you know, stream of things, or whether that's in the church with sort of tele-evangelists or people with, with big healing ministries. And you've got, everything, you've got everything in between. You've got people who say, well, yes, of course God can heal, but it's a bit too risky to go after it. It's a bit too scary. We shouldn't, we shouldn't really do that. It, it might cause too much pain for people, actually, if we go after healing. Uh, and, you know, the reason that, that healing causes so much conflict is because so much is at stake. You know, in this story that we've just read, Naaman's life was on the line. Uh, the slave girl's life was probably on the line. The, um, you know, the, the peace and safety of, of Israel was on the line and God's reputation as well. And, you know, it's the same in our experience today. Um, you know, obviously for a person who's really suffering and, and sick, the stakes are high about whether you get healed or not, especially if it's something that medicine can't really treat. But I guess what I want to encourage us to do today is not to try to work out which camp to join, but to really ask God, well, what's your perspective on this? What do you think about miraculous healing today? And what are you doing? And what attitude do you want me to carry? You know, Jesus commands us to pray for the sick. But on the other hand, it can seem very risky. So I guess the question I want to look at today is, is it worth it? Is it worth it pursuing healing, praying for people who are sick, hoping, believing, trying to see it happen, wanting to see it happen? Is it worth it? All right, I'm going to read the rest of the story. Okay. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went out to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. 
If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. May the Lord, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now, I just want to briefly speak to that little incident with Gehazi there. And I guess I just wanted to say that, you know, don't let people who use healing in the wrong way or for personal gain put you off. There are people who do that. You know, we've all heard stories, some of them have been big scandals, of people with a healing ministry raking in the profits for themselves, raking in money for themselves. And I think this, this little story about Gehazi is really just to say to us, don't worry about those people. God will deal with them in his own way and in his own time but that it shouldn't be an obstacle to us going after healing. Now, when Naaman comes, as I said before, he is used to having things go his way. He's, he's all about power and control. He's used to being able to make things happen. And he, you know, he does come with, with real faith asking to be healed. Uh, but... He has very clear ideas about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And often we don't know what our expectations are until they get disappointed. And I do wonder if that's what happened with Naaman here. Uh, that he comes to Elisha and Elisha's just not playing his game of, of the rich and the powerful. And God's not playing it either. And so Elisha doesn't even come out in person to meet this great man. He just sends a servant to give him a message to go off and, and bathe seven times in, in the Jordan River. And Naaman is completely offended. This is not the process he was expecting. He was looking for some fanfare. He was looking to be wowed. He was expecting that the prophet would come out and you know, do some sort of uh, impressive sounding ceremony and wave his hand and, and heal him. 
But instead, he just gets this message to go off to the river and dip himself seven times. And it's not even an impressive river. He's offended by the river, probably offended that he has to do it seven times. But God was not just interested in healing Naaman's body, but he was also interested in setting him free from his pride and in rescuing his spirit. And so, you know, Naaman almost almost misses out. He almost walks out on the process because he's offended. And I think there's a real um, challenge for us that we're in, when we don't understand what's happening, when we don't like the process, to not get offended and to not storm off. And, you know, to not literally storm off and leave the church and stop reading your Bible, but also to not sort of internally storm off and sort of just shut your heart down from God. And I, you know, I think we can learn a few things from this story about Naaman. The first thing is that um, there's, a, there's a lot of mystery about healing. There isn't a formula. There isn't a thing where you get to say this is going to happen, how it's going to happen, and this is, this is going to be the process. Um, there's actually, we need to come with a, a lot of humility and a lot of willingness to just learn, learn from God. The second thing is that God isn't just interested in physical healing. Um, and, you know, a thing that we've really been experiencing lately is that physical healing and emotional and spiritual healing, they're often, they're often linked. Now, that's not to say that if someone is not getting healed, that it's their fault somehow, or that they haven't learnt the lesson that God wanted to teach them. But God is always, always interested in our, our hearts and in, in seeing us set free from our stuff that keeps him from him. And we just see this beautiful transformation happen in Naaman where he didn't just get healed from his leprosy. He also got cured of his pride. And, you know, he calls himself your servant. He probably would never have called himself your servant before that. And he wants to turn away from the gods he had been worshipping and instead only for the rest of his life worship the true living God. So he is restored to relationship with God you know, his character is radically transformed and his, his health, his body is radically transformed as well. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus too, that he healed people's bodies, but he also at the same time challenged people's views about sin, about um, forgiveness, about God, about themselves. And he also, at the same time as ministering physical healing, he also brought healing to people's deeper needs for love and acceptance and forgiveness. And so God is always doing a deeper thing as well as physical healing, always. And sometimes we see people get healed and sometimes we don't, but I think we can trust that God is always wanting to, to bring his love to people. He is always wanting to do a deeper work. And it's going to look different in different people. It's not always going to look like Naaman. Pride and control is not everybody's issue. It is for some of us, but not for everybody. Um, but the thing is to, to seek God about what are you really doing in this situation? What do you want to do in this person's life? And sometimes when we pray for someone for healing, they may not physically get healed, but they may experience the love of God. And that is worth it. That is worth it, even though, of course, the healing would be wonderful as well. So is pursuing miraculous healing worth it? Because I think it is something that we have to pursue, that we have to kind of push into. 
um, you know, even just making time and space to pray for each other about our physical physical illnesses, making, you know, when someone who we know, who doesn't know Jesus yet, tells us about something in their health or something in their body, um, it, it takes quite a bit of proactivity to, to pray for them. So it is something that we have to pursue. And I guess I want to say that I think it's worth it for three reasons. The first one is that it just makes such an amazing difference to a person who does receive physical healing. You know, we've heard that in some of the stories in our church community, and I really hope we're going to hear more. But being healed by God of something that um, you have been powerless against and struggling against is, is amazing. So it's always worthwhile. Um, and I would say that in this story, Naaman would have thought that even the messiness of the process was worth it because it also transformed, transformed his heart and enabled him to, to know the living God. Um, secondly, even when someone doesn't get healed, I think the process is always worth it as long as we're coming and doing it in love. You know, we don't blame people for, for not getting healed. We don't say it's dependent on their faith. And I don't even know that we should blame ourselves if people don't get healed. We come as learners. We come with humility. And we ask God to teach us and to show us and to lead us into more because we want to see more. And, and thirdly, I think the reason that we pursue healing is because we're followers of Jesus. And being a follower of Jesus means that we, we need to learn from Jesus about everything, actually. So we need to take on the attitudes of Jesus about relationships. We need to take on the attitudes of Jesus about money. We need to take on the attitudes of Jesus about purpose in our lives. We need to take on his attitudes about demons. And we need to also take on his attitudes about healing. And this was the thing I really felt God challenging me about as I was preparing this talk is, do I really carry the same attitude towards physical healing that Jesus did? Do I believe the same things about it as Jesus? Because I think that's the starting point for us, that we need to allow God to change our attitudes so that we, we believe the same things about healing as Jesus did. And then I think we will start to see more and more um, of what we be able to do what Jesus did as well, which is to see many, many people healed. You know, the people around us, they desperately need um, God's love and God's power. We all need God's love and God's power. And we really want this church community to be a space where we are able to, with gentleness and respect and love, really minister to one another for physical healing and where we'll persevere as well, where we will keep praying, not just, oh, we prayed once for five minutes and it didn't work, but we keep walking together um, and also walking together, processing the deeper things that God is doing in our hearts. And the world around us desperately needs to know that God loves them. And sometimes the best way that you can show someone that God really loves them is by offering to pray for them for healing. Because if God comes through, or even if God just somehow in that prayer shows them that he's real and that he's interested in them. That is so worth it. So we're going to spend a little bit of time praying now. Um, and I, I guess, first of all, I just want us to spend a few minutes coming to the Lord and saying, um, you know, being willing to surrender our own attitudes about healing so that we can learn from Jesus and take on Jesus's attitudes to healing. I mean, Jesus thought healing was really important. He did a lot of it. 
He was willing to take the risk, even when it meant that people didn't like him or reacted negatively to him. He still wanted to pursue healing. You know, he came to demonstrate the kingdom of God. He talked about it. He said, the kingdom of God's here. God is here. And he also demonstrated it. And so healing is one of the ways that Jesus did that. He did it in other ways too, but he definitely did it in healing. So I think um, what we're going to do is we're going to, to stand and we're just going to take a few minutes to just, um, to just pray and to bring your attitudes about healing, to bring your hurts or disappointments about healing to God and to ask, um, and to ask Jesus to, to help you to take on his attitude toward healing and his beliefs about healing. So why don't we do that? Let's all stand and pray. Um, if you want to, maybe just put your hands out. It's sometimes a really powerful symbol of handing things over to God and also receiving from God. So, Father, we, uh, we just come to you and we want to come in humility, acknowledging that there is so much that we don't know and we have so much to learn. And Father, if, any, if we're carrying offence the way that Naaman did, if we're carrying offence about the process of healing or the messiness or the uncertainty, we just want to give that offence to you. We want to acknowledge it and confess it and repent of it and turn from it. We ask that you'd forgive us for, um, you know, where we've just wanted a, an easy formula. We've wanted to be able to, to be in control. And Lord, where we've carried, you know, fear of, fear of failure, fear of disappointment, just like the King of Israel, we want to give that to you. where we've carried skepticism and cynicism like the king of Aram, we want to give that to you as well and repent of it, Lord. Lord, we just repent of our, our hardness of heart. And Lord Jesus, we, we just ask that in your grace that you would Give us more of your heart for healing. That just like the slave girl in this story who, um, who, who loved and had compassion and wasn't thinking about herself, that you would help us to have that same heart of compassion for people who need healing. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us the same confidence in the power of God that you had, that you have. And most of all, we just ask that you give us your compassion and love for people, your compassion and love for this broken world, your compassion and love for our family members and our neighbors and our friends. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister to us about our beliefs about healing.
Come and set us free, Jesus, to walk in your ways.